Amen? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That was uh, our worship team led by Steve Hamrick, Dr. Steve Hamrick, and Mrs. Linda Hamrick, Mrs. Warm. And uh, uh, man, I tell you what, um, we're thankful for them, you know, and and I don't want to gloss over the rest of the team either, okay? Um, some, um, how do I say this? Some gifts and abilities were highlighted this week. Some were, um, were what's that word, elevated a little bit, and uh, we're excited about what God did and what God is doing, what God did and has done and is continuing to do and will continue to do. Um, And today, our sermon, our message, our scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It doesn't once mention the blood. Don't be disappointed. It does talk about reconciliation. It does talk about now is the day of salvation. And if it wasn't for the blood, there would be no now for the day of salvation. And so even though it doesn't mention that word, and it doesn't even really mention the word reconciliation, it does mention the salvation that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, I'll ask you to stand if you're able as we read our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, as we have opened the paper books today to hear your word, may we also open our hearts to receive what you say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the text, we start out very simply with, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I bust this open. I try to um, open the text and look at it as, um, as openly open-minded as I possibly can. And so what I want to do is look at that first, first phrase, we then as workers together with him. If you have um, a more modern version, that word, those words with him are either not there or they are in italics, 
because they're not there in the original Greek. Okay? They're not in that text. But I want you to know something. Some people think that, that, um, that is as we then as workers together. And some people think, well, that workers together means with the Corinthians. Okay? But if you look at the text before this, and if you, I think it's in 520. Um, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so we see that more than him being fellow workers with the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul and those working with him are fellow workers with God. And so it's not a bad translation. In fact, it's probably the best of all the possible translations to see that the Apostle Paul here is saying, we then as workers together with him or with God, okay? And I don't know any better worker to be a fellow worker with. Okay? I mean, there are a lot of you here. Don't take that as an insult, okay? There are a lot of you here that are great fellow workers. And I'm sure there were some in the Corinthian church also. But there is no better worker to be a fellow worker with than God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, they know everything, right? Okay? They can give you all wisdom, right? They can guide you in everything you need and give you the strength to endure. In fact, when we see Paul's life, we see that the, this... This verse right here is evidenced by the way that he worked and by the way that he lived. And it's probably a good uh, introduction to, I mean, God said it, right? Gave it to Paul. So it is a good introduction to what he's going to say here on how he lived and on how he tried to make sure that the ministry was not blamed because of the way he lived. So we then, as workers together with him, with God, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, how do you receive the grace of God in vain? If you receive the grace of God, it cannot be in vain, right? If you receive the grace of God, what does he do with you, okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives you salvation and eternal life. So when we see this, we've got to see that the possibility here is quite simply that they're just hearing it, not to hear the grace of God in vain, not to hear about the mercy of God in vain. How can you do that? Well, by rejecting it by turning away from it, by saying, I heard what you said, but I don't believe it. I heard what you said, but I don't have anything to do with it. And so the Apostle Paul then goes on to share with us all these things that he does and all these things that happen to him that, that, um, that occur in his life. And he does these things and he lives this way so that, guess what? The people who hear the gospel through him won't hear the gospel in vain. They won't look at him and his ministry and the way that he works and the way he does things and say, if that's what God is like, I don't have anything to do with it. Okay, so we we beg you, we plead with you, we beseech you, we urge you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, when you hear it, trust, give your life to Jesus. There are a lot of people that that ignore it, that turn away from it and say, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. That doesn't matter. Or maybe it does matter to them a little bit, but they really rather at that point in their life continue living the way they want to live or the way they are living without God, doing those things that are so much fun, right? Those things that, that, that tear up their life. Okay, so. We beseech you, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, now who says, this is Isaiah, uh, the writing from Isaiah, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. So God is speaking through Isaiah saying, look, now's the time. We're going to set you free. We're going to bring you back. We're going to give you this salvation from your enemies that you need. And for us, that salvation is not from enemies. It's from one enemy. Well, maybe two, Satan himself, okay? It's salvation. It's trusting in Jesus Christ. And he says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, my uh, mom's dad used to tell me, tomorrow never comes. Anybody ever heard that phrase? 
You know why tomorrow never comes? Because then you're going to call it today. So tomorrow, which is Monday, you're going to say, well, today, right? So tomorrow never comes. So guess what? We can say that every day is now. We can say that every day is now. Yes, except yesterday, right? But every day that you enter into on that day, it is now. It is today. Now, I want you to see something here, okay? Now is the time of salvation. Now is, um, behold, I love that. Now is the accepted time. There is no better time than right now. There's no better time than right now to trust in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? Tomorrow may not come for you. It may not come for me. It may not come for those that say, oh, I can wait. I can wait. I can wait to the end of my life. You know what? I mean, if we're looking at a clock and we're looking at it's going to be 12 o'clock and that's midnight and that when Jesus comes or that's when we die, we wait till 10 minutes till, guess what? We may die at 15 minutes till. It may end. We, um, I attended a funeral this past Monday <coughs> for a 62-year-old man. I did a funeral Wednesday for a 62-year-old man. Two different men. Neither one of them expected to die. One of them, I'm confident, is a Christian, is now worshiping at the feet of the Savior. One of them I don't know about, but they didn't expect to die. One of them I believe was ready. One of them I'm not sure about. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. We give no offense in anything. I, I want you to see all of this um, because everything he did, and we're going to read what he does here in, in a little bit because verse 4 begins with but, but in all things. So we give no offense, but here's what we do. All right, so I want you to see that connection with all of that, that all of those are related to him giving no offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. We give no offense so that the ministry, in anything, so that our ministry may not be blamed. What is that ministry? Well, I mean, you can, you can look back at chapter 5 again and read verses 18, 19, 20, and even 21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the second time you've heard that. Um, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We sang about that a little bit, and we sang about John 1, 29 and 36, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus. And, and, and this ministry that he has is so important that he's going to do everything he can to not bring any offense so that they can blame the ministry. You know, there were a lot of people out there preaching. There were a lot of people out there teaching, sharing philosophies of the day, all right? And if you're just sharing a philosophy about life, especially if that, that um, philosophy is hedonistic or if it's uh, carnal, then guess what? You can say whatever you want and you can live however you want. But as a Christian... We've got to be careful how we live. We've got to do everything we can not to bring offense to the ministry. And so he was saying, everything I'm doing here is for the purpose of not bringing offense to the ministry. Remember what he said? He worked day and night. He 
work probably making tents during the day. And I believe that while he was doing that, he was also sharing the gospel with those who were around also helping to make those tents. And then at night, after everybody finished their work and went home, they would probably gather with Paul somewhere and he would teach them from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the ministry of reconciliation was so important that he wasn't ever going to give up. It was so important that, that, um, that everything he did focused on making sure people didn't see any offense in him and in the way he did the ministry of the gospel. Um, and so we've got to be careful because sometimes people will say, well, these guys, they're really like that. Okay, so here's what happens sometimes. People look around. Trust me, they're going to watch you. People who are outside of the church who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ except as a curse word, people who have never come in, who is Jesus? Well, you tell them and they don't have any clue. Okay? And when they say that word, they say Jesus' name in vain or even, oh God, and you tell them we don't say that here. Why not? There's nothing wrong with that. They don't get it. They don't understand. But when they do start watching you because you're a follower of Christ, guess what? They're going to want to see you living a life that is holy and is pure, and they're not going to want to see you doing other things. They're going to go, up. Oh, that's the way they are. I don't have anything to do with them. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I don't want them to say that about me. I don't want them to say that about those who are ministering with me. So I'm going to live a life that is exemplary, all right? A life that leads people to Christ, not one that does not. And so, um, and, and we see people trying to uh, besmirch the name of Christ that way, trying to find anything at all that they can blame us for, which is why I set the cruise control, Okay. Because I don't want them saying, oh, that's Pastor Curtis doing 80 miles an hour in a 55 zone. Okay? So, behold, now is the accepted time. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations and needs and distresses, etc. But in all things, not in just something, in all things. I want you to see this um, because that word but does take us back up to where it was. This is why we do this, okay? This is the other side of the coin. In order to not bring offense to the ministry, this is how we live. We commend ourselves in this way. Now, we've talked about that commending ourselves before, and you know that, uh, that they would often have other people send letters, or they would send letters of introduction, okay? So uh, if somebody were to come here and say, listen, I really want to preach for you someday. I really want to preach for you next Sunday. Uh, and here's my letters of recommendation. By the way, I heard about something like that. There was a guy that um, in some church in the South was traveling around. Anybody ever hear of Don Francisco? All right. Anybody hear of Don Francisco? I don't know if he's still singing. Is he still singing? But this guy was claiming to be his brother. Okay. And he said, I want to come into your church and sing some, some, some gospel songs, some hymns and stuff. And, um, and so Don Francisco had, had a father who was a professor of theology. He passed away. This guy was claiming to be his son and Don Francisco's brother. Turns out the guy was a complete fraud. Complete fraud. And, um, and most of the churches would turn him away and say, we don't know you. By the way, that's what I would do. I would say, sorry, I'm, I'm reading your letters and things that you've written about yourself, but I don't know who you are. Um, and so he went into this one church, and the pastor, I, I put a article up on the bulletin board there about him, the pastor said, it was terrible. I mean, that would, that's what would happen if I were to go around and say, by the way, I'm Don Francisco's cousin. Could you let me sing for you? Okay? And if they do any research, they're going to find out, guess what? Don't have Curtis sing for you. Okay? 
And so they would write letters. Anyway, this guy was a fraud, and they said it was terrible. They just, the pastor was just praying that he would end at the same time the tape music ended. Okay? They gave him enough gas money to get out of town, and that was it. All right? So people would write letters of recommendation for themselves so that they could be introduced to a church or a group of people so that they could speak and teach in that group. This is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He talked about that earlier, but that's not what he's talking about here. We, in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. How do you commend yourself as ministers of God? Here's how he does it. In much patience. That, that, that word also there is, um, is a word, uh, what is that? Endurance. In much endurance, thank you. In much endurance. It's not in the King James that way. In much endurance. Um, and some people try to take this list and make this the, the, the heading for it. In endurance, we, uh, we endure in tribulations. We endure in needs. We endure in distresses. I don't think that's the way it's meant. I think every one of these nine that are listed here in this first part are individual things that they endure or that they do. Okay, He endures in much patience. Have you ever had to endure somebody before? That's what you're doing right now. I mean, you understand sometimes, right? And we just endured. That's what they probably did when they heard that guy sing. And that's what you'd do if you heard me sing. You just wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You'd say, stop, Curtis. Okay? But some people, you just endure. And he said, we endured in, uh, you know, a great patience there, in much patience. And, and can you, under, you get the idea here sometimes? If you're teaching to people who've never heard the gospel before, and never heard who Jesus Christ is, they've got lots of questions, don't they? They probably don't have any, any, if, well, they have a very simple understanding, if any understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so when you're trying to work with them and trying to teach them, they're probably coming up with all kinds of ideas that are really weird and really far-fetched and really have nothing to do with who Jesus Christ really is. And so he was very patient and enduring in all of those kind of things in tribulations. And, uh, uh, that word there is the word for, or is the word means afflictions. And, um, and so, uh, by the way, I want to give it that idea of, of endurance again. Because if we have a goal, if we have a purpose, um, we're just going to keep going. We're not going to give up. Um, and they had a ministry that was important, that was valuable. Um, and that was the ministry of reconciliation. He said, we're going to endure. We're going to keep going. And if you're talking with somebody that doesn't know the gospel, needs to hear it, needs to understand it, do you just give up and say, fine, I don't care anymore? Not the Apostle Paul. He kept making sure, did everything he could to share the gospel so that they would understand it. So, in much patience, endurance, in tribulations. And that word, again, tribulations means pressure, a tension that can come either from out, without or from within. Now, some tension that comes to us from within is temptation to sin, right? And he says, we uh, endure those. We, we, um, even in those, we live a life that would lead others to Christ. Uh, no matter how small, no matter how tempting, he endured that. He said, I don't even want to do that. He, he, um, he lived in those things and, and didn't give in to sin because of the fact that he had a ministry of reconciliation in needs. The Apostle Paul um, did not accept money from, uh, from most of the churches. And so we can see that possibly the Apostle Paul was sometimes hungry. The necessities of life is what that's talking about. Um, and so in that, he did everything he could to make sure that his gospel being preached didn't 
bring, uh, and the way he lived didn't bring blame on the ministry of reconciliation. In distresses, distresses um, is, this is an interesting one, it, it is the word that kind of means squeezed between a rock and a hard place. You got, you're cornered. You got no way to get out, okay? And so you've got to either deal with the situation or take what comes. Uh, a, play, uh, a picture having no place to go, no room to turn, okay? Um, stripes. The Apostle Paul apparently was beaten, scourged, somewhere around like eight times. Uh, now, I don't know how many, um, as we think about the whipping and the scourging of Jesus Christ, and most of the time, at least the Roman uh, lashings had to do, it was, it was vicious, okay? Um, you know, the cat of nine tails, they had nine pieces of leather. They would put something, uh, maybe a ball of metal or maybe a piece of pottery, broken pottery or glass on the end of that, and it seriously would just uh, destroy the flesh of the person they were beating. And so we don't know if he was whipped with a cat of nine tails or just a regular whip. Either way, you ever been hit with a whip? I don't like it, okay? I mean, it's not fun. I've been hit with one because when I was a little boy, my brothers and I had whips, and we would play these games, and uh, I've been hit with one before. I can't tell stories like Stan could, but I did have two brothers, okay? And we did things that, you know, that we thought were going to be fun and didn't always end up to be that fun, okay? So... I've been hit with one. I don't want to hit with even just one leather strap. It doesn't feel good, okay? But he was beat eight times. And in that, his main goal was not to bring shame on the gospel, on the ministry of reconciliation. His main goal was to make sure they knew that he was a follower of Jesus Christ and that God would get the glory, even for the beatings and for the whippings. He was beaten eight times. He was imprisoned somewhere around uh, seven all throughout his ministry. And the last one resulted in his death. Okay, so we see this in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults. Anybody, that word tumults is kind of like mob uprisings and attacks. Anybody uh, um, ever been in, a, in the middle of a mob uprising? Anybody ever been to the World Series? Or what's that one, Super Bowl? That's what it is. Anybody ever been to a, a, a game where everybody storms the field? Yeah? Yeah, see, I wouldn't have gone out there. I'd have been hiding in the stands, okay? Of course, I would never go to a Cubs game anyway, but. I'm sorry, I would. Uh, it was, I was very happy that they won, okay? I was, but I wouldn't have gone out on the field. You're not going to go out there because you're going to get run over. You're going to get trampled if you're not careful. I'm not going out there. And when he talks about tumults, guess what? That's kind of what he's talking about, um, mob action. And, and you think about what happened with Jesus. It was a mob action. What should we do with Jesus, whom you call Christ? Crucify him. And pretty soon, everybody there was yelling, crucify him. And what happened with Peter? I don't know the man. Why would he say that? Because he knew that mob action was terrible and that something terrible could happen to him if he said, wait a minute, stop, don't do that. Then he would be also the brunt of, of, of their activity and that he might die because of that. So the Apostle Paul was in the middle of some of those mob uprisings and attacks. You see that at Antioch of Pisidia and Lystra and Philippi and Ephesus and Jerusalem. Um, and they are almost uncontrollable. You know, when they um, storm the field, tear down the uh, goalposts, guess what? You just kind of got to let them, okay? And then you find a team that does it, right? But you're not going to get out there and try to stop them. It's not going to happen. 
And so he says, I've been in the middle of those things. I've been in the middle of tumults. And he says, in labors, in labors, the Apostle Paul, again, we talked about that real quickly, that, that the Apostle Paul would work day and night, that everything he did, working throughout the day, uh, making tents, and then working at the night, in, in the night, to try to share the gospel and preach the gospel, in labors, in um, sleeplessness. Now, there's several reasons that the Apostle Paul would probably be sleepless. One, because he worked too many hours. And another, because he probably worried about all the churches and all the people that he met and all the people that he knew. He wanted to make sure that they did not receive the grace of God in vain, in sleeplessness, in fasting. Any of you ever, I do this, you get so busy you forget to fix lunch? Anybody? Uh, okay, I'm not the only one, all right? Um, you see, there are th some things to me that are more important than eating lunch, like breakfast and supper. Okay, and here's the reason, because somebody else fixes those, and I don't have to worry about it. All right, give me a payday candy bar for lunch, I'm pretty good. The Apostle Paul probably did intentional fasting, where he would fast for days and nights, and probably there were times when he fasted because he was just so busy with everything that he was doing. So in fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. We've got nine more things here, and every one of those start with this word by, B-Y, by purity. And I want you to see, because uh, we, we can talk about all of the different things that these mean by purity. Well, that's by living a, uh, a pure, holy life, okay? These are ethical qualities that he lived by, all right? Purity. He didn't, didn't, ha didn't do those things that we hear, um, that we hear uh, about some of our modern-day pastors and preachers being accused of. Didn't do that. Didn't live that way. By purity, by knowledge. I love the picture here, by knowledge, because guess what? Um, uh, we are to um, study the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God, the workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, by knowledge. If he didn't know the Scriptures, by the way, the Apostle Paul was probably one of the most um, learned men of that time. He studied under a guy named Gamaliel or Gamaliel. You say it how you want to, I'll say it how I want to, all right? And, and he was very knowledgeable. He knew the scriptures. He had heard from God and studying the Old Testament, and he knew that the Old Testament was talking about Jesus Christ, okay? He had a knowledge that is uncanny and a, and, and a brain that was uncanny, and he knew that if he would use that knowledge, he could lead others to Christ. So by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering. Sometimes it takes some patience, right? It takes patience. You can't just give up after the first try. By kindness. Now, you know, we could look at all of these and we could go, what's the opposite of all this stuff? Okay, well, purity, you know, impurity. Uh, being dirtied by the world instead of being pure and living a pure life. Um, knowledge, uh, well, not having knowledge. Not studying the scripture. Not sitting, you know what? What I wish is that everybody that's here now would also be in Sunday school in the morning. Seriously. We get preaching, we get singing here, but in Sunday school, we get a chance to study the scripture and to learn from others. Okay? I also wish that everybody that's in Sunday school every Sunday morning, but not here, would be here. Okay? I don't know how many more we'd add to Sunday school and to worship service, but that's what I wish. Why? So that we would have the knowledge, okay? that we need to have to live the way God calls us to live. Knowledge. And, of course, the opposite of that is ignorance. 
okay? So he didn't want to live by ignorance. He wanted to live by knowledge, by long-suffering, by being patient with people instead of being impatient with people, all right? Um, and sometimes that's difficult. Anybody ever have a hard time, difficult time being patient with somebody, especially if you're sitting at a green light and they're not going? I mean, so, yeah, see, I'm not asking for confession really here. I'm just trying to bring it down to some things that we understand. Not all of those things are easy to do, okay? It's not easy to be patient with people sometimes. How about kindness? What's the opposite of kindness? Oh, things like being callous, being brutal, uh, heartless, um, cold-blooded even, and cold-hearted. Uh, and so, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're going to say more, but do we really need to? By the Holy Spirit. If Christ has forgiven you of your sins, if you have confessed your sin to him, then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives in you. And that's how we're to live, by the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't always do that. Sometimes we let things get to us, and we don't do what God calls us to do and live the way the Holy Spirit guides us. The Apostle Paul said that's not what he did. I don't know about you, but I'm not the Apostle Paul. I, I confess that to you. All right? I wish I was, and I wish I could say all of these things applied perfectly to me the way, the way they did to the Apostle Paul, but I can't. It's a challenge for me. And by the way, it's also a challenge that we kind of issue for each of us during the hymn of decision and the invitation time. So, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and let's, let's face it, Everything we do is simply by the power of God in our lives, right? Everybody do me a favor real quickly. Close your eyes. Okay, now open your eyes. Who gave you the power to do that? Did you? No, because God is the one who created you. God is the one who put you together. God is the one who gave you eyes. God is the one that gave you the power to open your eyes and to close your eyes. In fact, God is also the one that gives you the power to take every breath that you take. So, by the power... Well, and here we're going to get down later by the power of God. By the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, unfeigned, not fake, unlimited, okay? Um, Jesus gave a commandment uh, that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor which, that which is evil, and cleave to that which is good. Love. By the way, you don't have to like me, but you've got to love me. And you know, sometimes we don't like people, which means that we don't do what we need to to take care of them. But see, love is a verb. It's an action. And if you really have, and that's why Jesus died on the cross, because he loved us, because he loves us, okay? And so love is an action. It's a verb. It's something that we do. It's not an emotion, okay? In our modern world today, people think that love is an emotion. Oh, I just love him so much. Okay, guess what? we love them so much, we help take care of them. We watch over them. We guide them. We share the gospel with them. And so, unfeigned love, sincere love. By the word of truth, the word of truth, you know, the word of truth. This is it right here, the word of truth. By the word of truth. These are the things that Paul lived by in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ in order to share this ministry of reconciliation, in order to let people know that God sent his son 
to die for them so that they could have eternal life. Because guess what? We at one time were enemies of God. And when you're an enemy of somebody, in order to become their friends, you have to be reconciled. You can't do that with God. I can't do that with God. But Jesus could. And he did when he died on the cross. So by the word of truth. And I got I to gotta say, there's nothing else for us to preach. A few years ago, and I don't remember how long, but it's been a while when I started preaching through the book of Acts. And then I started preaching when I got to a certain point through one of the books that the Apostle Paul wrote. Then going back to the book of Acts, then back to another book, and then back to another book, and through the book of Acts. And we haven't finished the book of Acts yet. You know why? Because there's nothing else to preach but the truth of the word. Uh, it's not my job to preach to you the headlines. It's not my job to preach to you the news. It's my, not my job to preach you to you the opinion of man. That's why I focus on the text. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Right? There's nothing else for us to preach. There is no other news that man, woman, child need to hear more than they need to hear this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we can have eternal life and so that we can have eternal fellowship with the God who reconciled us to Himself. Nothing else we need to preach, just the Word of God, the truth, the Word of truth by the power of God. Remember what Paul said? When he talked about this, he said, I didn't come to you in fancy speech, okay? My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I didn't come to you with fancy words. I mean, I'm glad he didn't because I don't know very many fancy words, okay? All right? If I, if I find a fancy word, sometimes I'm going to mispronounce it, okay? So, power. The word of the truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. The armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. I like that picture. Because see, when you think about them, this is a very much a military picture, okay? Because guess what? Your Christian life is a battle. Sometimes it's just tough. Sometimes we've got to defend ourselves with that shield we're holding on the left. Sometimes we have to, have to attack with that sword that we're holding in the right hand. So the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. What we're seeing here is possibly, there's three different interpretations of this, but this is more likely uh, talking about the idea um, that some people saw him one way and some people saw him another, okay? Um, that some people, um, the first one is, is, um, is how people who didn't like him saw him or talked about him, okay? They dishonored him. Well, the first one is, is his real truth, by honor, by dishonor, okay? By evil report, good report. So honor is how people who knew him and trusted him would see him, and dishonor is how people would try to portray him. By evil report and good report, people would make up things about him and tell stories about him because they didn't want him to be the one preaching there. Can you imagine if, um, <laughs> remember what it said about John the Baptist? All the world went out to hear him, Okay? Can you imagine if that's what was happening with the Apostle Paul? And instead of going to hear so-and-so who was charging, they go to hear the Apostle Paul who has the word of truth. Well, those people don't like it because now they're losing money, okay? And so they're making up stories about the Apostle Paul so that they don't go hear him and they come hear them instead. By evil report, by good report, as deceivers and yet true. They, they, they put us down, and by the way, that idea is deceivers. That's an, an idea there that is, um, <laughs> it's interesting how that's how they would describe Paul, because that's what they were, okay? They were deceivers. 
those that were described, Paul isn't a deceiver, they were that themselves, all right? So, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet known, as unknown, that's the word agneo, okay? Anybody know what that word comes from? From agnostic or ignored, as being ignored, as being, um, as being uh, dismissed, disregarded. Oh, he's nobody, don't worry about him. Okay, don't listen to what he has to say. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's the word there. That's what he's talking about. An unknown yet well-known. As dying and yet, behold, we live. That's the one I love, okay? As dying, guess what? We're all terminal. Did you know that? You know what that means? We're all going to die. We need to deal with that and understand that before it happens. Because after it happens, nothing we can do. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. We're all going to die. And if that's the best news I tell you, which it's not, because guess what? In Jesus Christ, we can all live. And that's what he's talking about here. At dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed. Yeah, they can beat us up. And remember what Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. They can kill your body. They can wipe us out. Death will take this body one day. But Jesus Christ will give me eternal life when this body is finished. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. Poor, he didn't have much money. But everything he said gave people eternal riches in heaven. Walking on streets of gold, walking through the pearly gates, standing, sitting, kneeling on their face in the presence of God, eternal riches, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. See, when the Apostle Paul talks about all this, he did it because he wanted them to know that all of these things were part of his method, if you will, to make sure that they understood the gospel of Jesus Christ so they could be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And he wasn't going to do anything to the best of his ability, that would bring shame on that ministry. That would, be shame, that would bring shame on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this to close, and we give you kind of two challenges. One, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There may be somebody here today that has never trusted Christ. There may be somebody here today that has never confessed to this congregation that they've trusted Christ, but they know they have. And they're ready to live the way God wants them to live. So we're going to have an invitation here in just a few minutes. An opportunity for, I'll be at the front, an opportunity for you to come and say, Pastor, I've given my life to Jesus. I know that if I were to die today, I would stand in the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ on my life. That's one. Two. Two. Live like Paul. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do everything in your power, in your life, everything you can to give no offense in anything that the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of Christ, the ministry of the church may not be blamed. I'm going to ask Steve and Linda to come. We're going to have a hymn of decision. It's nothing but the blood. And as they're coming, I'm going to pray. And, and then I'm going to come to the front. And we're going to have a time where you can... Make a decision for Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Confess that you've done that. Or commit to living a life of no offense. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you, Father, for